for people to respond in that such a selfish way when there is an international crisis is to go out and panic by 50 times more toilet paper than they need is just ridiculous. Times have changed. I mean, we used to produce half an hour news at six. We now produce an hour at six, an hour at four. There's breaking news, digital news, Twitter news, Facebook news, Yahoo news, you name it. I didn't fall out of love with it, but I just wasn't liking it as much. This series of books is actually a great lesson to anybody such as Brendan who studies politics or indeed politicians about what to do, how to do it, and then of course how not to do it because we know what happens to Thomas Cromwell. So I sent a text to Kate saying, (laughs) have been roped in to do a radio interview, really sorry, sent it to Eddie by mistake. Um, (laughs) The text came back from Ed, harumph. I ask you to come on my show for the first time ever, and this is a response I get. Roped in, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation mark. Oh, Eddie, calm down. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 118, and I am Corey Perkin here with my dear friend, Caroline Wilson. And, Caro, we have a guest today. We do, at enormous expense to the management. Everyone's <laughs> trying to get him on. He hasn't given an in-depth interview since his shock announcement two weeks ago. But we have Brendan Donahue to come in and talk about his decision to resign from Channel 7 as state political reporter after 30 years. Welcome, Brendan. G'day, and thanks for the coffee. Four bucks. What a bribe. <laughs> Is that all she's paying you? So far. <laughs> I must point out, for those who don't know, that Brendan Donahue is also married to Caroline Wilson, but he's a dear friend, and we, the three of us, all sat up the back at RMIT journalism classes in 1979, and look how far you've come, Brendan, and after mm. 30 years at Channel 7, you are leaving. I am. We'll talk about that in a minute, I think, but we better get to our housekeeping, Caro, first of all. Um, a bit of listener feedback, which was good. Watson's on Instagram. Hello, Watson's. I read American Dirt over the long weekend. This, of course, was the book I mentioned last week. And Watson says, loved it, and to be honest, thought I'd be bothered by all the negative press, but that got pushed aside for the amazing storyline. Yes, I have not heard a negative comment. A lot of people from the football world, from the literary world, who you know and who I know, have raved about this (laughs) book and thanked you for your recommendation. Um, We've also heard from Keach39 on Instagram, who loved Hannah Rothschild, um, have loved this week's podcast shouting Adele Kardash was a highlight. Um, I I remembered that um, the... Hannah Rothschild wrote a book called The Improbability of Love. That's Anna right. from the Op Shop reminded me. And it was of it. shortlisted for a Booker Prize a few years ago, too. Was it really? Yeah. It's, about, it's set, seen through the eyes of a painting, an old painting that is passed around to various. I loved it at the time and didn't realise it was the same author. So there's another one The so Improbability the, of Love. And the book you and I have been raving about is The House of Trelawney, said with a good. Uh, uh, Cornish accent. Shauna O'Sullivan on Facebook said, does anyone else get a Mr Squiggle flashback when Carol and Corey refer to Miss Jane? Of course we do. That's Miss why Jane, we call her Miss Jane. Miss, that's exactly right. You've got it. you got it in one, Shauna O'Sullivan. And Miss Jane, you're probably a bit too young to remember Mr Squiggle. Oh my goodness, no. Mr Squiggle was like my peak childhood, so I've always taken it as a compliment. But I think when I hit 50 in a couple of years, I'm going to have to drop the miss. <laughs> Miss Jane brought in some beautiful, has brought in some beautiful 
beautiful ginger plant today, one of my favourite flowers. The studio smells absolutely beautiful. Everything's been clean and sanitised, Corrie. Yes, I know. I I hope these microphones have been. I need to apologise, first of all, because I forgot to bring in quinces for Miss Jane. It's not my main challenge, but I'm going to make quince jelly. Remember last year it was all about the quince tarts and Mm. I finally mastered them and thank you, everyone, particularly Kath O'Dowd. But... um, Quince jelly is apparently better when you make it from the less than ripe quinces because the pectin's more But then whatever. how do you cut into them? You need a chainsaw. Oh, no. You just need a good knife and lots a of lemon knife. to stick them in. And, and an apology. My daughter Rose says I have to apologise for my bougie monthly yearly challenge of having a facial every month. Yeah, I'm with She said, you'll just alienate everyone by making those sort of... I mean, excuse me, I don't pay for a personal trainer. I don't get massages. One facial a month is not that ridiculous. No, you don't have to thump the desk. It's your challenge and you're allowed to do what you want. Particularly when they throw in an eyelash tint and an eyebrow tint as well. <laughs> hey, um, just before we get on to our uh, challenges for the month, I did want to mention to our messengers that the footy tipping competition is now open. Yay! I can lose again. And Huey, Miss Jane's son, who's seven, can win. Um, So if you're interested, go to www.tipping.sen.com.au to sign up. And, of course, we'll have links to this in our show notes if you forget that. But just think of SEN, the radio station. We're swinging around on their coattails. So tipping.sen.com.au and look for Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast competition. We've already got 50 people signed up, which is great, and the tipping kicks off next week. Do not forget to get your tips in. And I just wanted to say also that next week in the bookshop on Wednesday the 18th, we are having the lovely ladies from Sydney's Monday Morning Cooking Club to come and talk about their new cookbook. If anyone's interested, call the shop, my bookshop, 98242990. And we have another special guest next week on the eve of the footy season. Our favourite Richmond supporter, Anna from the Op Shop, is coming in to talk everything football. And let's hope, Corrie, we're all going to the football. Let's hope we do go to Thursday. That might have to be a challenge of mine this year. Now, Caro, how's your challenge for March going, the facials? Well, you know, I said I was going to have one every month, and I fully intend to. I found this brilliant. Uh, young girl, woman who does them, she seems to have a highly complicated personal life and I can only nab her on certain days. And you've planned a Cornish Walker's lunch on the day that I've booked my next facial. So you're undermining my challenge. I just want to make that point. But I haven't had another one, but I'm going to keep doing it. So there we go. Oh, well, how look, are I'm you, sorry. How are you going on using things we keep for best? Well, I am dressed in my new Primness dress. Primness is my go-to brand at the moment. It's so comfortable and beautiful. So I wore um, the other night my Primness shirt, and I've worn my dress today, which have been in the back of the cupboard for best. Brendan, you'll be so interested in this, really. My, is that the shop that has all lovely silky yeah. tops and flowy, and all block colours? Yeah. No, no patterns. No patterns, because I'm yeah. really into the blocks. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to you, Dal. But Brendan, I I did serve the other night. I did get for best. I did get out of the bottom drawer with a heavy heart. I was a bit concerned. I used the Maramico napkins when I served you one of Judy's little sausage rolls. Mm. 
So the Marameco napkins is another. I've I've had them in the drawer for two and a half years, Gary. Yeah, since we closed the two actually. That's the thing about paper napkins; you've just got to use them. Mm. Well, you do. Yeah, oh, Brendan. Totally. Brendan. I, I agree. <laughs> Let's move on. I think. <laughs> Brendan, we want to ask you about your big move. So you've decided to. It's we're we're not saying it's retirement because you'll have life after this. We'll talk about that in a minute. But your decision to leave Channel Seven as the Victorian state political reporter after thirty years, the most admired in the business. Well, by some, not by all. Uh, Yeah, it was a big decision. What prompted it? Um, Well, I just thought back. I went to Channel 7. I think David Broadbent was the news director, invited me down there in like February 1990, and Caro was pregnant with our first child, Rose, and I accepted, I thought, a long-term contract of two years. I said I wanted real security for my children, so I got a two-year contract. And um, fast forward 30 years later, I just thought, well, it's another sort of milestone year for me. I'm turning 60. Someone else I know is turning 60 but doesn't want to talk about it. Rose is turning 30, obviously. And um, times have changed. I mean, we used to produce half an hour news at six. We now produce an hour at six, an hour at four. There's morning news, the mid-morning news, the afternoon news, breaking news, digital news, Twitter news, Facebook news, Yahoo news, you name it. It's just constant. So I got to the stage where I wasn't... I didn't fall out of love with it, but I just wasn't liking it as much. And compared to a lot of other jobs, it's just unbelievably good, obviously. And you get to do incredible things and meet incredible people and go incredible places. But I just thought, well, one, um, I needed to do something different with my life before I, you know, fully retired. And two, if you're not, not, not really, really, really enjoying something, well, you should probably stop. So I got to the point where I probably I came home and said, oh, it wasn't a great day today. And too, there was too many of them. So I said, well, right, we'll do the right thing. And um, so I gave notice, what, two weeks ago. Given that your uh, journalists now are having to feed so many news sources, so as you say, it used to be a half-hour bulletin and now it's updates, and are you sort of suggesting it's a young person's job? Well, I, because that would be terrible for all the great well, talent not, and wisdom and physicality. not the physicality. I still carry tripods up and down the steps of parliament and all that sort of thing, but it's um, it's more the mental pressure. So the new new people to the game know no, no, uh, no different, so they probably think that's that's normal, whereas I've seen it change over, over the years. And also there's, there are realignments with sort of news values and all sorts of things that go on um, in newsrooms. So you have to, you have to look at what, how you're feeling in a job. I, mean, I would hate to have gone to a job for 30 years that I didn't like. Now, I was so lucky I went to a job that I loved for 30 years and I didn't want it to end badly in three or four years' time and be booted out or kicked out or dragged out or come out in a box. So I thought I'll make the decision and um, I'll go and do something different after a I, after I have effectively long service leave or three or four months off. It, see, uh, it seems like only yesterday you were getting those wonderful well wish, wishes from um, Dan Webb, who, I mean, I think he'd, he'd finished a few years before you took over the job, but yeah. he'd, he'd been doing that job for a long time. And yeah. it's just remarkable to think, uh, I'm sure none of us would have thought you would have done it. Yeah, Channel 7's only 30. had about oh, six or seven state political reporters since 1956. So, so um, Hutchie and Damo said some very nice things about you on the sounding board, and they talked about Tim Smith. A great podcast. <laughs> they said you retired, which you haven't, and they said t- it, that Tim Smith was um, upset people, including the family, including Rose, our daughter from Amsterdam, for breaking the news of your resignation. It wasn't well, so much that... No, it wasn't breaking the news. I mean, I, I sent out a bulk email to everyone that mattered, but um, Tim tweeted it, which he said he'd got every right to tweet that I'd retired, but he, he just sort of said, um, I wonder what... Um, 
of gig or something, the, the Labor Party's going to give me in retirement. And that was what upset and so people. He, a lot of people thought he was ungracious rather than saying, oh, well done on 30 years. I wonder whether he's going to go work for the Labor Party or whoever. And so everyone sort of, well, not everyone, but a lot of people jumped on top of him. And then he said boo-hoo to someone in Perth who was who's admired by everyone. And then everyone jumped on top of him again. Um, so I think, that, I think that he's was, got, that was a, he's got a red bin issue, hasn't he? He's upset about your coverage of red bins or something. Or, I mean, is it, hasn't he been ridiculous? Oh, no, he, he had a press conference where he said that um, bin night would become looting night, that people would go around stealing everyone's bottles once you bring in a container deposit scheme, which the opposition supports. So I just tweeted what he said at the press conference. <laughs> <laughs> Would you? I think you're supposed to do that. So, Dale, oh, that makes you you've a been um, shortlisted for Walkleys. You've won the Gold Quill. You've won numerous Quill awards. Um, you've had a fantastic career in this particular career. Give us some highlights and lowlights. How many premiers and how many news directors? Um, I think I'm up to six. Six news directors. They tend to average five years. That's yep. about right. All of them being you know really good. Um, I think ten premiers. I started, went up there. For the Australian newspaper back in oh, 79 80. Um, and Dick Hamer was there when I was a cadet on the Australian. So I had Hamer, Thompson, uh, Kane, Kerner, Kennett, Brax, Brumby, Bowie, Napthiner, Andrews. They're the yep. premiers I've covered um, over that time. Any favourites among them? Oh, look, they're all good. I mean, in hindsight, John Kane, you know, um, his recent uh, death and state memorial was just incredible. And you think of what he did at the time, that even, particularly the way women were treated by um, government sporting codes and the MCC issue, VRC, and just what he did for the state was pretty amazing. I mean, Jeff Kennett was an incredible premier to cover because he was so entertaining. Um, Steve Brax was such a nice guy that he won three terms. He's he with John Kane. You know, they're, they're the two premiers that won three. Daniel Andrews will probably win three as we sit here today. Um, but you've had you know Dennis Napthine filling in for a while. Ted Bay was a, a de- very decent bloke. They've all been good. There's no sort of real nasty pasty in a lot of them, all very decent men, and one woman, Joan Kerner, who was a lovely person. And all of the pollies with whom you've worked over the years, who would you say was kind of the nicest or the funniest, the woman fuzziest? Uh, the nicest, well, probably Steve Brax was the nicest, just all-round decency. I don't think he's got a bad bone in his body. He's got a hard political edge to him when he wants to. But um, he was, he's probably been the nicest to work with over the years. We, I, I remember a couple of um, fallouts and skirmishes. Remember when um, you broke the story about Jeff Kennett's driver parking in the disabled? Yeah, Jeff. <laughs> Gee, you've had some big ones, Brent. <laughs> no, Whoa. But the, well, it, no, but it, it wasn't that it was a big story. It was the way. It was the way Jeff Kennett responded. So yeah, there was a Liberal Party conference on the weekend at uh, Hawthorne or Auburn Road, whatever it is, in that uh, college, and um, Jeff Kennett's driver just pulled in and just parked in a disabled zone out the front. So we took a picture with the, you know, with the cameras and showed a few seconds of it that night. And, of course, a lot of people wrote The Age at the time saying, you know, this is a terrible example. So Jeff, the following Monday, I think it was, had to start off his press conference by just ripping into me and by ending off by saying, and I hope that your life from now on is as pure as the driven snow. And the, I think he had a crack at me as well, didn't well, he? Well, I think the argument was that you're allowed to park there because there was no disabled person parked there at the time. <laughs> or how, how can they park there if you're parked there? What about the 10 who drove up to park there and didn't get the park? <laughs> well, that's right. And your that's most right. recent big scoop, which also involved, um, well, it sort of involved public transport, was when um, you Tony noticed... Tony Abbott? Yeah. 
Well, there was public a public transport. Well, a taxi. Oh, you got a cab. <laughs> oh, Tony Abbott went and visited uh, George Pell a couple of months ago at the Melbourne Assessment Prison just up the road from Channel 7. That was a really good story, Brendan. It was why an international did you, why, scoop. Um, why did you not enter that into the Quill Awards? Oh, I, I just didn't get around Too lazy. it. lazy. I didn't get around it. Um, so, the, um, yeah, so George, uh, Tony Abbott, a great supporter of George Pell, went in to visit them. I obviously found out about it and just went and waited outside, and I jagged him coming out. And the vision went all around the world about the former Prime Minister meeting the most high-profile convicted pedophile in Australian history and Catholic history. So, yeah, it was quite a good story to do. Do you think that um, there needs to continue to be three layers of politics in Australia? Oh, being a state political reporter, I do. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. I don't think you can go to um, you cut out the middleman. If you cut out state government, you're going to have these massive fiefdoms. Like the in the north, there'll be certain groups running the big councils, and in the west, and it'll be there'll be so much problems in, in that. And you can't cut out the federal government. So what do you do? We're stuck with three. The, the one that you could cut out is you get it, get rid of the councils mm. and you have the state government just basically appoints the, the existing councils to run the services, but then you'll have... They a, oversee ba- it. And- you'll have a backlash about mm. democracy and, you know, whether your people get a vote and whether you should have actual councillors. But you'd like to think that, that what would come with that is good governance and uh, and kind of more control of the state yeah, well, in, I think in a Bris- good way. Brisbane has one sort of big, massive sort of uh, council, which is huge compared to us. We used to have too many councils. One good thing Jeff Kennett did, the first thing he did was he cut it down to like 71. We had 211 or something. Brendan, what are you going to do now? So, well, I'm going to work um, in about as soon as I get out of oh. here. No, I'm serving. <laughs> you're, you're so funny. It's no, 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 no. I'm working till uh, for about four more weeks or so, and then I'm going to have um, about three months off. Um, I'm going overseas with a few. You hope like, you are. <laughs> I, I hope I'm going overseas. Come back to Melbourne sort of, I don't know, uh, July or so. Oh, well, watch the borders. They're apparently lots of things are happening uh, a la coronavirus as we speak. Mm. Uh, but what are you going to do when you get home? What's the professional I step? Don't, I don't know. I don't want to work in the newsroom. Writing speeches? So I've been in all that Lecturing be. in journalism? I don't know about lecturing. I, I've, I've been in newsrooms 42 years, so I've, I think I've had enough of them. I want to try something different. But I've got diverse interests. So, you know, from aardvarks to zoology, which is probably they're linked, I think. <laughs> but... Um, um, I'm you don't a great interest in sport, politics, automotive, public transport. I'm interested in a lot of things. And um, I, I probably, well, hopefully we'll get a job. Um, renewables. Part, part-time renewables. That's always <laughs> asked me about. <laughs> Windmills and things. Uh, well, so you'll... I'll find something. Great. Well, yeah. you know, everybody who's out there who wants a good speechwriter, there's a man <laughs> for hire here in our studio. Uh, just speaking of the coronavirus, I just wondered how you two, is your house in lockdown? What precautions are we taking? Have you shopped up on toilet paper and rice? Well, well, What's I, going I'm, on? You don't know this, Corrie, but I happen to be involved in one of the most highly contagious pastimes, and that is bridge. We had a big lecture. For, well, and radio mics. Those cards. Well, I was going to say radio mics going to the AFL. We're back on bridge. There okay. were people playing bridge yesterday in rubber gloves. I'm not joking. Because cards, no, quite seriously, everybody's got hand sanitizer. Um, because the cards have been, you, you can't keep cards from being infected. Everybody touches the same cards. And you went to Congress with 2,000 people, well, people last week. Nearly 3,000. 
Well, it was back in, it was a few weeks ago now, and at the time it wasn't sort of the mass panic it is now. Um, Brendan rang me yesterday and said, you know, there's going to be a big announcement um, the other day from the Premier, and, um, you know, is there anything we need to get? And we haven't done any panic buying. We've been pretty um, sensible about it. But I did go to the supermarket and buy lots of bananas. I don't know why, but we've got <laughs> we've got Ned living with us at the moment. So I brought what? a nice pin and wham. And, and, and we've got Ned living <laughs> with us at the moment. We've got a lot of bananas. I swear, Ned had also been to the show. <laughs> We've got about thirty bananas sitting in a. Um, well, when you when you said yeah. after Brendan contacted you and said the premier is about to make a statement, and you text me and said you better do a shop up, I thought, well, like what? I mean, they make toilet paper in Australia. Surely there'll be a new batch next week. Serena so tuna, I, I sp- lots of tuna. Well, I spoke to Francesca, and she said, "Mum, there's not a nappy in Ballarat," which I think was a massive exaggeration. So up I went to the local supermarket and bought some nappies. It was about all I, it's, it's I didn't know. Oh, I'm peanut butter. <laughs> peanut butter. Well, I thought. In a crisis, it's good vitamins. and Well, I rang both my parents and said, go and do some shopping. And mum said, what sort of, do you like sardines? I said, I love sardines. We will get mum in over the next few weeks and months to talk about her childhood and growing up with the polio epidemic. Because I've got photos of mum at her third or one of her birthday parties, and it's just her sitting with a little cake and a candle. Because oh, she no. wasn't allowed to have, have anyone. Any, anyone there? Everybody. And, and, you know, there are people who still, you know, to this day, who mum grew up with who are bearing the after effects of having polio as children. Um, so it is, you know, she talks about that with enormous sadness and long-standing effects. Obviously, we hope that this isn't going to, I mean, oh, it doesn't. we hope not. We hope if not. you get it, you hopefully get better and you don't have the long-standing effects. But it's a strange time. We, I've got a lot of friends now in quarantine because well, Cara, they, they, go to, they go to that Turak clinic and that ridiculous doctor. Well, I was going to say, no, he's not a ridiculous doctor Well, the, the, the response from that I story has been ridiculous. I spoke to him yesterday, actually. I rang him because he's a good customer at our shop and I rang him just to say, uh, you know, a lot of solidarity in the village for you. Of course, they've closed. I couldn't believe it, Caro. So there we are. But why did he you go know, to I've work? I've been ranting and raving about it. Why did he go back to work? He didn't, realize, he... he didn't realize he was that sick. He had a sniffly nose. He didn't even think. He'd come from Vale, like, you know, from a ski, the ski capital of the US. Not Crazy. I, I thought it was a bad decision. I the... can't believe in our village they've closed the local medical centre just when you think retail can't get much worse. The village yesterday was honestly but that's because because like he's it. gone in there as it turns out with coronavirus and he's there are a lot not of not his old... fault, Carol. You sound like the health minister. I can't hear a bad. The word health minister him. didn't Hello, even Chris name Higgins. him. The health minister didn't name him, and I think that the the oh, the Herald, the way Sun, that, the Herald Sun did. Yeah, but of course the media is going to name him. But I, I mean, wa- that's I what wonder, they do. I wonder if it had been um, a, me- a metal worker from Altona, whether they would have highlighted that. The fact that he was a Turak doctor, I just thought, oh, Herald Sun just it's no, it's such because a, he was a doctor. An old worn record. The Age named him too. It was because he was a doctor. Mm. Brendan, what's your view on Doctor Higgins? Uh, I think if you're sick, the general uh, rule is you shouldn't go to work. Now, this is all in hindsight. So he said he felt he had mild uh, cold symptoms, but he actually got himself tested or tested himself. Yeah, it was quite So he must have known that he was feeling bad or not normal. So the yeah. debate well, is, should he have stayed at home Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday? So he worked, he saw 70 patients or something. And then, of course, I don't know if you know, but he then spread it to the Kerry person. Yes. Well, who's related to him. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, that's how it happens. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he's made a really it's poor like decision. He's run out there. And, no, you tend anyway. to spread it to your close friends. Within let's, right move to on. let's move on. Let's move on to AAP. Speaking of newsrooms and news oh. organisations, very doom and gloom, Va- isn't it? Oh, Vale AAP, Australian Associated Press. For those who don't are unfamiliar with it, let me tell you, you've probably been reading AAP copy most of your life if you've read a newspaper since 1935, and. Um, the uh, poor old AAP decided last week that they had to uh, close the organisation, unable to compete with the free information available on the internet. Margaret Simons in The Guardian wrote a really uh, terrific piece and said it was a tragedy for the already for our already underreported nation. And it underlines what was already clear that the crisis is in public interest journalism has reached a critical stage. Brendan, do you agree with that? Oh, totally. Um, I think it's, uh, one editor said it will result in media deserts where areas just won't be covered because, as you said before, a lot of areas are covered by AAP and people just don't know. They're the silent journalists who go out there and mostly accurately report and without sort of any bias, they just pre- file a, a very straight report, whether it's sport or politics. Um, you think of all those little uh, country newspapers, country radio stations, they get most of their copy from AAP. They just don't have the the resources to have journalists um, at state rounds or health reporters or whatever. So everyone's going to have to reset. You'll have the you know the nine Fairfax group and the um, big News Limited group, the Herald Sun, etc., um, all sort of starting off their own sort of services or just relying on their own journalists. So it puts more pressure on those journalists. But there will be areas, particularly second-tier sports that won't be covered at all. So the media will have to rely on the websites of those sporting organisations or industry organisations. And then there's a question mark over the uh, security of the information and the truthfulness of the information. Well, so, the key word you said before when you said AAP, yeah. facts, it's usually, it's just well, facts. You, you might, facts you'll have a soccer club, a, a soccer um, club maybe saying, oh, it was a great game last night, you know, th- this was a result and nothing happened. And then someone two weeks later will say, yeah, but the police arrested 85 people in the stand. So there some, it's, things will go on that will just go unreported now because there won't be journalists or independent journalists at events around all around Australia. It's really tragic. Caro, I can't imagine. We'd all have to go back and do cover the law courts. That was well, my first thought yeah, well, because they cover so many court cases. As a sports journo, that Brendan's nailed it. I mean, I just don't know how a lot of these smaller sports are, are going to survive and how we're actually going to – well, I don't know how we're going to see them covered. Now, Corrie, you have a crush. I do, and it's a pretty obvious one this week, guys, given that it has been um, International Women's Day on the weekend. The Australian women's cricket team winning the T20 World Cup. What a win. What a win. And not only that on-field skill and brilliance of that team, but also their off-field grace and pure joy and, dare I say, dance moves They're, with Katy Perry. Very good dancers. <laughs> very good that, dancers. That hip-hop sort of skip step. Meg Lanning is one of our great leaders. And cricket have, have really got their act together. 86,000 at the G, forged, And I wish they'd got over 91 just to break the international record. But they broke the Australian record and... The, the, the way they have paved the way for CBA negotiations across all sport with their equal pay for women, um, the way the men have actually given up some money in their, in their most recent CBA to share with the women. Two things. I'm, I think Channel 9 was mad not to show it on their main channel. I'm really disappointed that it was on GEM or whichever one it was on. I'm sorry, but maths could have taken a back seat for one day and of all, it would have meant so much. What, and, what's maths? Married at f- first sight. First Come on, sight. Corrie. Come on. Oh, 
I don't watch it, but even I know that acronym. Will Swanton in The Australian wrote last week, why are we saying this is a, might be a world record or an Australian record for a sporting event? It's a rock concert. I'm sorry, nobody said that the NRL crowds were created at their grand final when Tina Turner played. Oh, With, so, Katy Perry did a few songs. They, they turned up to watch the Australian women's they cricket sure team. They sure did. Win their fifth World Cup and it was T20 World Cup. It yeah. was fantastic. Love them. Love the girls. Love you, love you, love you. Um, now, BSF. Corrie, you, I'll take over because you're taking over now. You've walked in with a very, very thick book. I'm and about to drop it on the on the desk, everyone. And That's how heavy it is. 857 pages, I think it is. Be honest. Have you read the whole thing? No, not yet. Look, I'm just midway through. But it's Hilary Mantel's The Mirror and the Light, Karen Brendan. And this is the book that we have been waiting for four years. This is the third and the final of her Thomas Cromwell trilogy. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with Hilary Mantel's work, she won the Man Booker Prize for Wolf Hall, which came out in 2009 from memory. And then a couple of years later, the sequel to that, Bring Up the Bodies, uh, also won the Booker Prize. And this new one, The Mirror and the Light, I think is uh, destined to also win the Booker Prize. It certainly will be shortlisted. It's so the story of Thomas Cromwell, who is Henry VIII's right-hand man, he's Mr. Fix-It, he's conciliary, um, the man who essentially Henry VIII, um, having um, fallen in love with Anne Boleyn while he was married to Catherine of Aragon, thought, I have to marry this woman. He became completely obsessed by Anne Boleyn. And uh, Cromwell and a couple of other advisors came up with this idea, if we leave Rome, if we leave the Catholic Church, we could start up our own church and you would then be allowed to divorce. We would allow you, as um, as you know, caretakers of this new church, we would allow you to divorce your first wife and marry Anne Boleyn. So that's what happened. And Cromwell navigated the whole thing. That's Wolf Hall. In the second one, Henry says, I'm no longer in love with Anne Boleyn. So Thomas Cromwell has to activate a whole campaign against Anne Boleyn, including, and we'll never know whether it's true or not, Four or five men were accused of adultery with the Queen. They were also beheaded, as was Anne Boleyn. The Mirror and the Light starts at that very moment in 1536, at the exact moment that Anne Boleyn's head is chopped off. So the first opening page is that moment. So it's just such a, brilliant. So they've got a head start. <laughs> It's lovely to have you here. Is it as, it's like the Three Stooges, isn't it? Is it as good as all? I mean, it's, had oh, it's an it's, unbelievable it is, early orders. It is. And a, it is sales. absolutely brilliant, Carol. It is. It's such a rich book. Her language is so impactful, and she show, she just shows the the sort of human side, but also the political side of what's going on. This this series of books is actually a great lesson to anybody, such as Brendan, who studies politics or indeed politicians about what to do, how to do it, and then of course how not to do it, because we know what happens to Thomas Cromwell ready for another um, joke about chopping off heads, Brendan. Um, we <laughs> so all know that's what happens Hillary, oh. We know the ending, but... The Mirror and the Light by yep. Hilary Mantel. Highly recommend. It's only available in hardcover probably for the next 18 months, so you're just going to have to take your house brick home with you. Caro and Brendan, we all have a screen. We all, all saw it. Well, we've all been... Brendan and I have watched the first two episodes of Stateless. I think you have too, Corrie. I have. I. It was such a grim opening show, but such a brilliantly done show. Really creepy. Um, the characters of... So sad. Kate Blanchett and Dominic West, who play this sort of vague, sort of um, cultish 
couple who run this horrible sort of, well, basically a cult where... Um, Via a dance studio. Yeah, one of the main characters, um, who's clearly mentally fragile anyway, has a complete breakdown after we, we think he's sexually assaulted by the... Um, they don't really the pastor. Yeah, who's who's played by Dominic West, who we all love from the hour. Um, and the, and the this affair char- and the character's loosely based on the Cornelia Rao episode yes. of years ago. Yes. The um, Australian girl who inadvertently found herself in a um and the family didn't know for years center. and years and years. So this is about people from all around the world who find themselves in this one particular detention centre, which seems like Armageddon in the middle of nowhere. And um Kate Blanchett produced it. Um, she's taken it around the world. I think it won an award at the Venice Film Festival. I'm not sure. It's got a fantastic cast. Um, Asha Keddie is in it. Um, Playing a really good role as the Department of Immigration's uh, fix-it woman who's flown into the detention centre to try and work out, you know, what's the backlog? We've got to process these people quicker. And is horrified by, by what she Horrified. Sees. Um, there's a family from well, sort of from the Middle East or Syria who gets separated, and we see Afghanistan. Afghanistan, mm. sorry, who who gets separated, and we see what happens to that family when um, they're dealing with dodgy boat operators who rip them off and take their money. That is just so incredibly sad. And you see the pain and the torment of people who are working at this detention centre who are essentially good people who stand by when bad things happen. And where we are at the moment is that um, somebody has filmed a particularly brutal beating and um, it's about to hit the fan. And we're about... I'm not sure um, whether we're going to go back to um, the um, family of the girl who was basically disappeared. The, the family can't find her. She's pretending to be Scandinavian or German. German, because her parents she's, are German, yeah. She's stolen someone's passport. I think it's a brilliant production. It is. I, the first one was, I was very unsettled, but the second one, there, were, there was more humanity, more more fleshing out of the characters, I felt. Do you like it, Brendan? I do, and the, I think it is good. And the, the key message from both sides is that they just take too long to process people. I mean, people wouldn't mind if, they, if it took six weeks or six months, but if it's taken four, five, six years... People go mentally crazy. So, And there's such conflict between the staff, as Caro said. There's one particularly brutal guard, and then one of the new guards is really torn about what to do, whether to dob her in, because she's been bashing people. And the, the two sisters, um, Yvonne Strahovski, who plays the mentally unwell girl who, who deliberately disappears and um, turns up at this detention centre, and her sister, Marta Dusseldorp, who's a fantastic actress, who's sort of in everything good that's Australian at the moment, their relationship has been... That was really well explored in the first episode, and well, I think it's fantastic. It is. It is. No, I agree. It's really great. Sunday nights on the ABC. Now, we have two scone and muffin recipes today, Corrie. Oh. You, I know, Brendan. How exotic. <laughs> well, shall I go first with the sweet one? Wait or... till you have the savoury muffin, Brent. Or do you want to go first with the savoury oh, muffin? Oh, well, look, I'm not going to... <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, Carol, I can't go through it. Brendan will die of boredom because there, there are quite a few ingredients in this and the measures, but we will put it in the show notes. But the savoury muffins come to us from Tracy Sisson, who had the wonderful uh, shop yard mill in Turek Road, which sadly closed a couple of years ago. And we miss those savoury muffins. You lamented them the other day on the podcast. Tracy very kindly texted me the recipe, which we will put in our show notes. But essentially, the muffin is water, milk, eggs, oil, plain flour, baking powder, caster sugar, sunflower seeds, pepitas, 
cayenne pepper, and then three different cheeses, Caro. I knew that. There must be goat's cheese or feta, isn't there? Aussie feta. Yep. Correct. Tasty, shredded, and vintage cheddar. Now, remember, guys, that vintage cheddar is different to your regular tasty. It's got much more of a bite. And then she also adds in some baby spinach. So Miss Jane will pop those up on the show notes. But pretty easy to assemble and really yum. And from Kell Island in Brisbane, she of the lamenting two complicated recipes on Don't Shoot the Messenger, her scone recipe, she's not claiming it. Um, it's um, not, you know, some secret great-grandmother recipe, but Kel um, did say her grandmother would be horrified that she's not rubbing the flour and butter together. Four ingredients, preheat oven to 200. What what is she doing if she's not mixing it with her hand? A cup of self-raising flour, a cup of cream, a cup of lemonade and a pinch of salt. Lemonade. And that's it. Use a knife quickly but gently to fold the mixture together. Only use fingertips to spread out the dough to three to four centimetres high. She finds the middle or small scone cutter makes for a manageable mouthful and she brushes the tops with milk. She bakes for 15 to 20 minutes and serves it with strawberry jam and cream. Simple as. You're placing 10, Kel. Thank you. I'm, I'm told that even Lance Franklin quite enjoyed those scones. Um, Kara, you're grumpy. What are you grumpy about? Well, look, I'm just going to mention again. Your husband's coming off full-time employment. <laughs> I was grumpy at the medical industry sticking up for Dr Higgins, but we've already had an argument about that. I'm grumpy about a lot of things, Corey. I'm grumpy about the fact I might not be able to go and see Richmond Carlton next week. But I'm really grumpy about... This toilet paper thing is so ridiculous, and I've got a GLT later on, but there was a woman filmed the other night leaving a St Kilda cafe having stolen a roll of toilet paper from their bathroom. You're kidding. Yep. She's been (gasps) caught on CCTV. And I reckon we should oh, name. Good catch, well, well, I don't know her name. I reckon that should be shown everywhere. Shame file. Um, remember, the, Darren Hinch had the shame yeah, file. The, the Point Leo Estate. Apparently, that happened last weekend. A lot of people You're went kidding. went to their one of their restaurants and walked out with toilet paper. And I just think for people to respond in that such a selfish way when there is an international crisis as to go out and panic buy 50 times more toilet paper than they need is just ridiculous. Anyway. I can't believe that. Time, um, for, time for six quick questions. Brendan, my first question to you. Over the 30 years as the state political reporter, which was your favourite election campaign? Uh, 1999, uh, Jeff Kennett lost the so-called unlosable election to Steve Braxton uh, just a couple of hours after Essendon lost the unlosable preliminary final to Carlton. That was a memorable day. Oh, night. I remember I was editing at The Age that night and it was just story galore. Mm. Just, you didn't know which, what, which, who to lead, what to lead with. What was going to be on the front did page? Did you pick it at the time? I can't remember whether you thought that there might be a shock result or not. No, I thought we'd beat Carlton. No. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, you mean the election? No, no, John Brumby said at the time, watch out for some country seats and there, there might be a couple, three independents. As it turns out, he was right. Um, but that's all in hindsight, of course. But no, the the, the poll, the news, there was a news limited poll on the day, news poll that had it 50-50, really tightened up on the day, but all the way up through the election right to the Friday, um, Jeff Kennett was going to bolt it in. And plus all the you know, the newspapers are behind him, that sort of thing. Well, we all had, we all had copy written, headlines, everything ready to yeah. rock and roll. You yeah. know, Kennett back again, gone. Yeah, it was an extraordinary <laughs> day. Is that and, when Steve Brax did the swimming at Williamstown in the Speedos? Yeah, and a lot of women <laughs> fell in love with him. Not not so much with John Brumby's body, but more with Steve Brax's it body. Didn't work for, it didn't work for Tony Abbott, that trick, did it? 
Corrie, does America have a woman problem? I'm yes. sure you're very sad about what Elizabeth Warren has done. Yes, yes, I am very sad, Caro. And yes, I do think um, there seems to be a question <laughs> in America. Well, they need to grapple with this, certainly, in the next four years. Can a woman... Uh, be elected president because it is going to be the big issue of the next four years. We have we have three seventy something men who are going to be doing a face off soon to be two when we work out whether it's Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden. Just to refer potties to a really terrific show I watched the other night, which you can catch on his podcast, Farid Zakaria. I just love saying his name. He's a CNN presenter, and on his show he had Hillary Clinton for a half hour interview, during which time he talks to her about the electability or otherwise of women in politics. Elizabeth Warren, in my mind, clearly the best qualified candidate uh, in this current round and gone. And she will discuss sexism at some point. She doesn't want to now, as she said in her quick press conference when she left the race, if I call sexism now, I'm called a whiner. And if I don't, a gazillion women will be enraged that I haven't. So watch this space. Caro, AFL season launch time for you. Party, party, party. (laughs) It's the season. So what's been the event of standout? Well, it was pretty enjoyable seeing Peggy O'Neill accept the premiership flag at the AFL season launch. Always a wonderful moment, and it's happened twice now in the last three years. Wasn't quite the same as uh, the one at the Forum Theatre two years ago when they ran this fantastic sort of documentary about Richmond versus Adelaide, and at halftime a Richmond player walks into the rooms and says something like, not so tough now about the Adelaide Crows and I was sitting behind Don Pike and the CEO, Andrew Fagan, and they walked out pretty soon afterwards. But no, I think the highlight for me has been um, a night we had the other night with GWS, the Giants who are in town doing the rounds, sat between the coach Leon Cameron and the new captain, Stephen Canulio. Very impressive young man. He's joined the AFL Competition Committee and some really interesting observations going back to that game against the Western Bulldogs, a final last year, um, an impassioned um, plea and defence and sort of show of loyalty from Stephen Canelio to his teammate Toby Green, the much booed and maligned Toby Green, and some interesting observations about Marcus Bontempelli, about where they stand in the eyes of the AFL, and um, it was a terrific night. So that well, was my highlight. Well, next, well, next week when we have Anna from the op shop in and we're talking a bit more about season 2020 and we talk about our tips and so on, it'll be interesting to see your thought, drill down a bit more on your thoughts about the Giants and whether you think they can go the full... I think, well, I think they'll finish top four, but David King, who was there at, on the night, said they have to, non-Victorian teams have to finish top two to win the flag, which is mm. interesting. Now, I've got one for both of you. St. Patrick's Day is upon us. Who, who is your favourite Irish author? First you, Brendan. Yeah, in an Irish accent, please, Boral, Brendan. Uh, uh, Brendan Bean, uh, world Borstal boy and queer fellow. <laughs> he was an Irish uh, drunken radical, which is not very unusual. Uh, <laughs> So I read him, uh, Brendan Bean, when I was probably 15. Uh, the book was hanging around the house. Probably mum and dad brought it over. Um, I was very impressed with that. And um, But my favourite is uh, Maura Donoghue, who wrote Around the World in 80 Years in 1996. A very limited <laughs> yes. publication, just for the family, but it's a ripper book with great photos. Oh, yes. You talked about that book at your mum's lovely service funeral. Mm. Farewell. Um, Caro, I would have to say that... Um, Mine would be, although there have been some great ones, Oscar Wilde, always good for a quote, um, and William Trevor, who I adore. But I'd have to say as a woman, Edna O'Brien really rocked, rocked my world. So she would be my number one there. Yeah, she's a wonderful... They're all, all very good nominations. You, you've got one now, Brendan. For what? A question. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, Brendan DeCaro. Hey. You wouldn't think he'd Keep been up. 30 years live stand-up. Oh, Sorry, there's Brendan been three Donahoe, more, three more coronavirus uh, patients confirmed while we've been sitting here, so I'm just busy working on the phone. Um, Caro, um, have you had yet another text gone wrong moment? Question mark. Well, you know I Good have. Good call, bad call. You know I have. I had a bit of an issue the other day. Um, Eddie McGuire asked me to go on Triple M um, to to pump up the new footy classified, which starts next week. And so I got permission. This is the Wednesday show, not yes. the Monday. So I got permission from 3AW to go on Triple M on the breakfast show with Eddie and Luke Darcy. But I had to text my friend Katie to say that I was going to be late for our walk. Because, so, of, because of Eddie. So I sent a text to Kate saying, <laughs> have been roped in to do a radio interview. Really sorry. Um, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. Sent it to Eddie by mistake. Um, so Eddie comes back. Well, it's pretty tame. You could have well, said something worse. it could have been so much worse. You could have just said, you know, bloody hell. Mm. <laughs> the text came back from Ed. Harumph. Like literally harumph. <laughs> spelt out. I ask you to come on my show for the first time ever. And this is a response I get. Roped in. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation mark. Oh, Eddie, calm down. So how did you get out of that one? Oh, I just... Said, ha ha, could have been so much worse. <laughs> and okay, so what's your GLT apart from always check who you're texting to before you? And, send and the also, text? don't text and mistakenly Twitter it. I've done that before. Oh, when you reply oh. to someone, you press the wrong button. Oh, and it goes down Twitter, and everyone goes, "What's that about?" Yes, and you I, go, not, "Nothing." <laughs> yeah, don't pick Delete. up toilet paper from. I don't need toilet paper from the supermarket. Thank you, Delete. Brendan. Oh, <laughs> and on the WhatsApp, when people withdraw messages, I'm always intrigued. What did they say? Look. My GLT is something close to Miss Jane's heart, and it's sadly toilet paper related. I have finally succumbed to my daughter Rose's entreaties, which have been going on for two years. Who gives a crap? She said, you have to subscribe to this toilet paper. It's environmentally sound. It is so much better for the environment than any other brand of toilet paper. It's cheap. They home deliver. They send it in boxes of 48. So I subscribed early last week. It still hasn't arrived because, of course, they've been inundated. Um, I've gone for the premium quality, Jane, but I didn't know that you are one of the initial GoFundMe subscribers yes, to Who Gives a Crap. one of the only ever crowdfunding things I've ever signed up for. And it's about eight years ago or so, the founders found out the stats that 2.3 billion people around the world don't have access to a toilet. You know, 800 kids a day die because of lack of sanitation. And I was blown away by that. So 50% of the profits actually go towards making toilets, building toilets in third world countries and water sanitation projects. So not only do you not have to remember to actually buy toilet paper. So when this whole virus thing hit, I'm like, we have got 12 double rolls already (laughs) on hand. And you just don't have to remember. And it's not... Scratchy? No, not as at all. It hasn't arrived yet, so I don't know. It's My not standard scratchy. might be it doesn't ball, so to speak. <laughs> I've, um, gone, I've gone from the gone for the premium bamboo product. Beautiful. And because I signed up early last week, if you sign up and continue to sign up, you get a free lavatory joke <laughs> every week on your um, email. Joy. What's not to like? Who gives a crap? I'm going to. I'm What's going your to, joke? Oh, you haven't received it yet. I haven't received it. Oh, yet. Well, we'll look forward to that with bated breath next week. It's. I reckon everybody should get better for the environment. I agree. But what happens if you live in a really small house like I do? How do you, where do you put your forty eight 
Share it with friends. I go halves in a carton sometimes. That's a very good idea. Carol, maybe we could do that. That could be a neighbourly thing to do. We could walk around to each other's house with our toilet paper. Just put it in the roof right next to where where the the, uh, light globes are. Yeah, that's right. That's a good place to do Brendan, thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks, Brendan. We really appreciate it. No problem. I know you're a hard man to catch. Yep. No, it's been a great, uh, great experience. You One. caught him, though, all those years ago, Caro. You caught him. I'm looking forward to a lot of farewells over the next few weeks. It could be a couple, but with corona around, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, well, we'll toast your health just in the privacy of our own home, Brendan. Thanks for coming on. And uh, just a reminder again to potties about our footy tipping competition. Go straight to tipping.sen.com.au to sign up. And, of course, we'll have links to that in our show notes. And if you tipped with us last year... You will already be on the list, so you've already registered. If you want to pull out, I don't know how you do that. Just talk to Miss Jane somewhere by email. But oh, it's I'm going sure to be you... a big season, Kylie. Um, everybody needs to be involved. We love your feedback, everybody. Please contact us uh, via Facebook or you know Twitter or Instagram or whatever other things that we do. Um, and <laughs> you, you know, can... you know, <laughs> and you can send any feedback to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thank you, Miss Jane, for producing us. And what do we say, Karen Brendan? Don't shoot the the messenger, Corey.